Riley, I'm not going to hug you because you got a cough. Yeah. Pretend that I wanted to hug you. Oh, I did want to hug you, but you got a cough, so I'm not going to. Michelle, there's a spare seat next to you. You could move further from him if you need to. <laughs> Uh, welcome once again uh, here in person um, and up at North North Campus. See, I'm, I come from south of the river, and I might have told you this before, but down south of the river, everything up here is kind of this weird mystery. And so my family, we come to this church, and uh, we call this fake north, <laughs> and the other campus, north north. <laughs> we come to this campus, fake north. Nothing fake about it. It's real. You're real. I'm real. But it's not like North North, which is true North, and uh, what, anyway, whatever. Um, and then I don't know what we're going to call like the city and then all the other plans that are happening that God's doing in this campus. And I don't know what we call the online. Hi, online. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Um, yeah. So if you have any names of what uh, my family could call the online community, I'm all ears. Um, but welcome. Hey, this morning, because, um, so one of the fun things about, I'm not a pastor, I'm an ex-pastor and I work now out and do leadership training and development and so when I come and work in churches, I get to do things and talk about things that pastors aren't allowed to, right? So this morning, what we're going to talk about is fighting, <laughs> right? It, Riley can't do that, like, <laughs> he's got to love people. <laughs> And so, to talk about fighting, to kick it off, I want to show you a couple of pictures, so uh, hopefully everyone can see these everywhere. Um, the first picture is there. See, there's me, post-fight, um, bit of a black eye, remnants of a black eye. There's another picture, we've got another picture here. This one's an x-ray. You can kind of see where I've circled that some ribs of mine have been demolished. Um, that was a good long recovery time. And so, that was another fight of mine as well. So th these are some injuries from fighting. So, so I want to do a straw poll though, now that you know a little bit about me. Here's a straw poll. I want to hear some opinions. Number, knowing that these are some injuries you've seen of mine, the first option, uh, I want to see where you think, how we describe the, how, how these happen and what happened. So the first option here is, is one, you should see the other guy. <laughs> so hands up if you think that that describes what happened. For those at home and up at North North, there were no hands. <laughs> All right, so that's the first option. The second one is the other guy didn't get a scratch on him. Any hands up for the other guy didn't get a scratch on him? There's way too many hands for that one. <laughs> and the third one is um, as if I would survive any fight and there's no way that those are really from a fight. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> It's true. I wouldn't survive. The only fights I've ever been in were little scuffles with my brother, and I didn't learn how to fight there. I learned how to run really fast. <laughs> he's, much, he's two years older than me and much, much bigger. But today we're going to talk about fighting, because fighting is one of these things in the Bible. It's got a bit of a mixed message around it, right? And most people think, what do you mean mixed message? We're not supposed to fight. Uh, and I guess that's kind of true, but I want to prove to you that it's not. So on one hand, we have in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, we have Jesus telling people, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Right? That seems to be pretty clear, right? Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to the other. I guess we're supposed to turn the other cheek. Who heard, who, who, anyone here grow up in church and hear that in Sunday school and your, or your parents told you turn the other cheek and you're like, but my brother just hit me. <laughs> Why am I not allowed to hit him back, right? And turning the other cheek is a, is a big thing. 
So, so there's that angle on fighting. But then there's another angle on fighting where there's a story that is in all four Gospels. And I'm going to choose uh, John chapter 2, uh, verse 13 and 16. And I'm not going to read the whole verses out because we've got a, a bunch of reading to do this morning. But in this passage, what we hear about is Jesus goes to the temple. He gets to the temple. And when he's there, he sees people doing things that are not right. They're uh, using the temple to make money and make exorbitant profits. He doesn't like this. So he decides to first give them a sternly warded worded warning, please stop. No, it doesn't say do that. He starts a riot. He starts overturning tables, throwing people's goods out of the way. He turns his belt into a whip, right? Now, the Bible just says he turns his belt into a whip. What do you do with a whip? (laughs) And so there's all this talk about, you know, turn the other cheek. And Jesus made a whip and he didn't hang it on the wall as a wall piece, (laughs) Right? What do you think he did with the whip? That's really uncomfortable to think about, right? Anyone here struggling with that? Michelle's about to kick me off the stage because I'm not supposed to. No. <laughs> right? But this, is, but this is really uncomfortable to think about. Jesus turned something into a whip and then used it as a whip. That doesn't sit well with what we just read about turning the other cheek. So Jesus, clearly, this doesn't match up. We've got a dichotomy here of, of, of how, the, how we should think about fighting. And most of us, what we do when something gets uncomfortable, what do we do? Ignore it! <laughs> and we walk away. But I don't like doing that. Because oftentimes when something's uncomfortable, it means that there's something worth pressing into. Right? Have you ever noticed that if there's an uncomfortable conversation between you and your partner at home or you and a friend and it goes uncomfortable, you can choose to ignore it and sweep it under the rug, which is always helpful until the pile gets so big under there you trip over the rug. Or there's some value in exploring. So this morning, I want to explore some of this dichotomy that we have here. And maybe we'll discover some nuance and maybe we'll discover some layers around this which we can begin to integrate into how we relate to ourselves and the world around us. And because we can live out this faith in a better, truer way. So today, we're going to talk about fighting. And to do that, we're going to go back several millennia to talk about a woman who fights, because women who fight are amazing. <laughs> um, and so like I said, it's, it's tempting to just move past this, but we are going to go back a few thousand years. So uh, if Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Now, I haven't told the tech guys, but they might be able to bring it up. Anyway, a man from... From the Levi tribe married a woman from the same tribe, and she later had a baby boy. He was a beautiful child. They're talking about me. Uh, I'm kidding. This is before my time. Um, he was a beautiful child, and she kept him inside for three months. But when she could no longer keep him hidden, she made a basket out of reeds and covered it with tar. She put him in the basket and placed it in the tall grass along the edge of the Nile River. The baby's older sister stood it off at a distance to see what would happen to him. About that time, one of the king's daughters came down to take a bath in the river. While her servant women walked along the riverbank, she saw a basket in the tall grass and sent one of the servants to pull it out of the water. When the king's daughter opened the basket, she saw a baby crying and felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. At once, the baby's older sister came up and asked, do you want me to get a Hebrew woman to take care of the baby for you? Yes, the king's daughter answered. So the girl brought the baby's mother and the king's daughter to her. Take care of this child and I will pay you, she said. The baby's mother carried him home and took care of him. And when he was old enough, she took him to the king's daughter who adopted him. 
She named him Moses because she said, I pulled him out of the water. Right, so there's some context missing from this story, but most people in here, I imagine you've heard the story of Moses, even if you haven't grown up in church. Disney made a movie about it and uh, all kinds of fun things have happened with this story. But I want to set the scene. So here we have Egypt, which is the richest, most powerful uh, nation that has ever, ever been established. They rule the, as much of the, of the known universe as anyone knows around that place. They rule with an iron thi- fist. And the way they built their wealth, the way they built their power, was on the backs of slavery, right? It's imagine what you can build and what you can, what you can establish and what, how well you can do in business when you don't have to pay your workers, right? It's just a little business tip here. <laughs> you want to build a really, really big company, don't pay your staff. It works for a little while. Um, <laughs> two weeks maybe until the first paycheck bounces. But they enslave people in this. And the people that are enslaving, one of the main groups is the Hebrews, and so these Hebrews are slaves, and so the, the Egyptians are building really fun, opulent things like pyramids, right? And sphinx, and uh, incredible palaces, all this wealth, and the Hebrews are the ones doing it. And the Egyptians are doing it as slaves. And so, uh, like all regimes, though, they need, to keep, they need to keep their slaves under control. Because what happens if there's uprisings in your slaves? When your slaves are doing manual labor all the time, generally they tend to be bigger and stronger than you. <laughs> right? And so we need to figure out some kind of way to keep these people under control because if there's too many of them and they're all really strong because they're like building pyramids or whatever they were building, then they're generally going to be too powerful. So what do we do with this? And so the Pharaoh had this idea to keep of, of population control where we're going to try to balance out the population. We're not going to allow them to breed. So what we're going to do is we're going to require that all Hebrew baby boys are born are thrown into the Nile River, just for a time period, just a population control, and also just as a little power trip, right? Because imagine the psychological damage that does to the people you're enslaving, right? If you have a baby boy, it's going to die. The fear, because that's what you want. If you want to enslave people, you need to have them fear you. And so that's his plan, and so he sets up these genocide squads to go around to the Hebrew villages and to any baby that was born, they would deal with it, right? In the midst of all this, imagine being a Hebrew woman because there's no birth control, right? This is before the pill. (laughs) Before all the modern things that we use for birth control, there's just timing and hoping, which leads, basically, you call those people parents. Right? And that, that's, what, that's what the Hebrew people are dealing with here, right? In this situation. And so, what are you supposed to do? What are the women supposed to do? What's the appropriate response? Do you give up your baby willingly? That's kind of turning the cheek. Do you tell on your neighbors? Right? Because you hear your neighbors, maybe that'll gain you a little bit of favor. Turning in with your neighbor who's had a baby. How do you even hide a pregnancy? I have never been pregnant. <laughs> My wife has been pregnant twice, and we have two baby boys. She could never have hidden what happened to her body. <laughs> How do you even hide that? Right? It's not something that you can do in secret. Not only that, but once babies are born, for the first little while, like as a newborn, as a parent, you think babies are, newborn babies are allowed when they cry, but their little lungs don't really work. 
right around three to four months is when they figure out, hey, if I make as loud a noise as possible, I can get something. <laughs> right? And at three to four months, their lungs are a bit stronger, and so all of a sudden you hear this, hey, Luke, you five-month-old, right? Right? No? What is it? Oh, he's not there. Oh, he's not even there. Man. Six months old. I was going to get him to describe how loud it was. Um, <laughs> hopefully with like a, a, a real volume thing. Anyway, but it begins this horrific time for Hebrew women. What do they do? And what's really fun is that these Hebrew women are incredibly brave because part of these genocide squads is Pharaoh selected two Hebrew women to be the chief of turning these babies in. And these Hebrew women were amazing and brave and liars. <laughs> because what they did is they said, oh, and he said, why are, the, why are no babies being killed? Why can't we find these babies? And he said, the Hebrew women have babies much quicker than Egyptian women. And by the time we get there, their babies are born and hidden. <laughs> right? There's just something specific about Hebrew women who have quick babies. <laughs> right? That was the excuse they used. And so he, in, he increases the, he, it's, the story tells us that he increases the, the, the genocide squad or the squad for this, and, and they go even more hardcore. But this is the situation in which Jochebed, who is the lady, the hero of this story, the woman of this story, she's Moses' mother. This is, this is this story, that this is the situation she finds herself in. She's pregnant, and she's got to hide her baby. She's got to hide it. And so it's confusing, it's painful, and it's hopeless. Um, so here's my question. Should Jochebed turn the other cheek? Seriously. They want to hit her on one cheek. Should she just turn it and say, yeah, here's my baby, take it. It's time to start a riot. <laughs> so she begins to think and she begins to plan. She decides that it's time to fight. She keeps the pregnancy secret, which, I don't know, maybe she's a magician, like, <laughs> performing some kind of illusion. <laughs> I don't know how she does that, but she keeps this, this pregnancy secret and she hides the whole nine months from authorities. Then she gives birth. And the Hebrew women, who are like the liars, <laughs> and they help her give birth. And she gives birth, and they help her hide it. And for three months, she manages to hide her baby. It doesn't tell us how. It doesn't tell what magic she's pulling to hide a newborn baby. But she manages to do it. You imagine the level of creativity. Now, a, a desperate mother is probably one of the most creative, powerful forces on the planet. <laughs> right? You know, the, I know in... in, uh, in in America, there's this group called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. They got so many laws changed. They got so many things that happened. For years, they've been trying to change the rules around drunk driving. Then mums got mad. <laughs> and they changed the whole thing. And that, that's kind of what's happening. You've got a creative, powerful woman who's decided it's time to fight. And so this baby, but now the baby's starting to scream so loud that she can't hide it anymore. Should she turn the other cheek? hell no. It's time to fight and get creative. And so she begins to do that. What I imagine, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I imagine she sits down with her husband and her daughter and goes, what can we do? How can we hide this? And one of them comes up with his harebrained scheme. What about if we hide him in the river? <laughs> we'll make a boat for him out of reeds because that'll like be disguised and we'll line it with tar so it'll float. And then I imagine one of them begins to even think and go, wait, what if what if we could actually make someone think that it was their idea that they discovered him and they could look after him? Huh. And because if you read this story, 
There is absolutely the element of God blessing this situation and God fighting alongside them. But there's absolutely an element of a mischievous, creative uh, woman who is planning and, and um, uh, manipulating in the best possible way circumstances to make some magic happen, to fight back. And so she conspires, she thinks, she gets creative. She settles on a plan that's so outlandish to make a boat, to put the baby in the boat, to hide the baby in the reeds so that the, uh, the, Pharaoh, the, the prince, Pharaoh's daughter comes along and finds him. It's so outlandish and so crazy that with God's help, it might just work. And they put it into action. They make the boat, they hide the baby. And her, she even leaves her daughter to kind of like watch over it, which is you know, a nice little creative tip in there, like, hey, just kind of watch over it, maybe push it in the direction, <laughs> you know, wh whatever it may be. And as we read, the princess goes, what's that? Now, here's what the Bible doesn't tell us. In the Egyptian culture, anything that the Nile River, which was a gift from the gods, would brought to you was a gift from the gods. So when the princess discovers this little baby it's a gift from the gods. She cannot turn it down. And here's where the magic of where God is really just sows, uh, uh, throws his extra blessing on this whole situation and gets a little crazy. How many mothers in here would like to get paid to be a mother just to be a mother? <laughs> Hands up, anyone in here who thinks that would be amazing. That's what Jochebed got. Miriam goes up and goes, hey, uh, that is a little Hebrew baby. You can tell because, you know, the thing on the front is missing of his thing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a Hebrew baby. <laughs> hey, I happen to know a Hebrew woman who can help look after him. Do you want to meet this Hebrew woman? Yes, wouldn't you know? She's lactating, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I promise you, it's going to be okay. It's not suspicious at all. And the princess goes, yeah, that'd be great. Hey, I could even pay her for her troubles. Right? What an amazing woman Jochebed is. What an amazing God we have who conspired with her conspiracy to make the magic happen. She decides to fight back in the best, most creative way. She does not turn her cheek. And so this whole thing, this plan, the time, the place, the fact that the princess walks up at this time, whether Miriam was behind that and Miriam was pushing in that direction or whether God was planning the whole thing, we don't know. What I do know is that the Jewish culture today, still to this day, have a, a belief that to pray for something, to simply pray for something, and to know what actions to take at the end of it, and not take those actions, is considered a mortal sin. So oftentimes, when we're taught to turn the other cheek, what we think is, God, can you just fix this for me, and I'm just going to turn my cheeks. <laughs> and I'm just going to get beat up, but I'm not going to remove myself from the situation, I'm not going to get creative, I'm not going to use what I have, the power that I have that you've given me as your child to actually create a different circumstance for myself. I'm just going to hope that you fix it. In the Hebrew culture, which is what we, by the way, I don't even know this, Christianity is a Jewish cult. It's a break off from Judaism, right? Jesus was a Jew. So there's a lot of stuff about Judaism that we should be looking at and going, hey, that's interesting. I wonder if that fits with the way that we relate to God as well. And I think this is one of those things to pray for something and to know an action that you can take and not to take it is considered a sin. Isn't that an interesting way to think about this? And that's what I think was happening here with Jochebed. 
She prayed for the safety of her baby, but then said, but there's some stuff that I can do too, right? What could I do? Well, I could hide him. I can make a boat. I can use my daughter to look after the baby. And then, and you see how the whole thing just escalates. And by the end of it, we got God and Jochebed fighting together for the life of this baby called Moses. I don't know if you know this, but Moses is one of the most central figures to the history of humanity because he is key in, the, in what led to eventually Jesus, right? Because Moses was the one who led the, led the Israelites out of Egypt. Jochebed's son, who was born and birthed out of fighting, becomes the ultimate fighter for the freedom of the Hebrew people. Mothers, you want your kids to be amazing creative fighters? Start fighting. <laughs> and by the way, we can talk a little about the nuances of this. Because first off, Jesus never said, do not fight. We're not called to be doormats. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he's actually teaching one of the most powerful ways of fighting back. It was, this, this turning the other cheek thing was, it was, um, it was co-opted by Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in America, uh, the, 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 of non-violent fighting back. One of the things that I discovered was most powerful against a violent force is non-violence. And saying, oh, you hit this one? You can hit this one too if it's going to make you feel better. I'm going to let you. Yeah, you don't hit me because you want to. You hit me because I'm letting you. Which is a different powerful move rather than like, oh, another one, please. <laughs> right? And the civil rights movement co-opted this turn the other cheek thing and turned it into the most powerful forces of last century. Where they overturned, or well, they're still trying to do it in America, but, you know, things are a bit slow over there. Uh, where they overturned thousands of, uh, hundreds of years of slavery and uh, uh, themselves and, and mistreatment and turned it into a powerful move. And that's what Jesus is doing here. It's a way of fighting back. One of the things that uh, I want to I wanted, uh, highlight here is that too often in faith circles, we teach our kids that fighting is bad, right? So I used to have a saying that I taught with my kids where I said, hey, we don't start fights, but you're allowed to finish them. That's what I taught my kids. And the reason I'm talking to the kids is because I have a seven-year-old who's about the size, well, we, he's the average size of an 11-year-old, right? He's huge. And so um, I was like, oh, I can't have my kids starting any fights because he's going to destroy everyone. <laughs> but we've since changed that and we said, if there's a reason to fight, you're allowed to fight. <laughs> and, but you're not allowed to hurt someone deliberately, which gets confusing for them because they're seven and six. <laughs> But we're hoping they get it at some point. But this idea that fighting is bad, it's time for some nuance. And so here's some nuances that I want to apply to this situation. I think they're going to apply to us. So knowing that Jesus was not against fighting because he made whips and fought people with it. Here is the thing that I want to, I want to highlight. Fighting for something is right. Fight for something. What do you fight for? See, most often when we're told that fighting is bad, we, get, we begin to think we can't fight for anything. And so we wonder why our lives are just these listless things drifting along. And stuff is happening to us. Life begins to happen to us when we're not allowed to fight for the things that we want, fight for the things that we know are right. What are some things that we could fight for? Truth. Fight for the truth to be heard. Fight to end poverty. 
fight for the downtrodden, fight for the ignored, even if you don't agree with how they're living. Fight for mutes on cell phones. <laughs> right? Fighting for things is okay. In fact, we don't do that enough as a church. The church community worldwide is known for fighting against things. What are we against all the time? And we're known for things that we don't like, and we're willing to speak up about things that we don't like, but we won't fight for things. The people don't want to, and the community at large is wondering, why is the church so irrelevant? It's because we don't fight for things. But when we learn to fight for things, it's when we change the community. It's when we change the world. It's when people say, that's a God I can believe in because He wants to fight for the things that matter. But we have to do it too. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about your life. What are some things that you can fight for? Because there's a couple of things. There's some guidelines. There's a couple of things. One, is it going to make you a better person or the world a better place? Right? That's the guideline. Fight for things that will make you a better person or the world a better place. Those, those are the simple guidelines. You a better person or the world a better place. The Pharisees in the Bible were a people who were obsessed with fighting for being right about things. They all, everyone knew what the Pharisees were against. Everyone knew. They made it clearly known. Jesus comes along and he starts fighting for the people, for love, for people connecting with God, not for putting barriers between God and them, for joining. And, he, and his ultimate fight took him all the way to the cross, fighting for people and fighting for God to bring them together, to be the bridge, right? Jesus was the ultimate fighter. Forget the whip in the temple. The fight at the cross that he fought. That's what we're talking about here. There's a lot to be learned from fighting. Here's some benefits. How to go all in for something. When was the last time you went all in for something? You said, I'm going to fight for that. When you, when you fight, you know what's worth bleeding for. What's worth losing by bleeding? I'm not talking about physical blood. What's worth going through pain for? What's worth sacrificing for? How to take a, a setback or a hit and keep going. Right? That's what we learn when we begin to fight. How to get up after being knocked down. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, stuff sometimes in life doesn't work out. <laughs> and it'll knock you down. When you've got a history of fighting behind you, you learn how to get up again. And so when we fight for the things that are worth fighting for, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen straight away. You will meet resistance. But when the, more you, the better you get at fighting, the better you are at getting up again. When you, when you begin to start fighting for things, you learn that sometimes it's worth quitting. You learn how to endure pain. You learn how to not be a victim. So... We've got a couple of minutes left, and I want to highlight this. If you don't know what you're fighting for, you're not fighting. If you don't have a list of three things that you will fight for daily, you are not fighting. I want to encourage you to take some time this morning, this week, 
actually list down the things in your life, the things that are around you, the things that you see that are worth fighting for, the things that will make you a better person or the world a better place. Now, does this mean, by the way, uh, by the way, for some of us, the number one thing you can fight for is you, right? Because I, I, I was explaining this to a guy I know in a, in a leadership course I was doing, and he, he came from a faith background and he burst into tears. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, i got to fight for me. I was like, yeah, you do. And he'd been in this really abusive relationship, physically abusive. His wife would beat him and he wouldn't touch her. She was stealing all this money and gambling it away. And he said, I've got to fight for me. And by fighting for me, I'm leaving her. See, oftentimes the church is full of, and this is the thing in a church in America, my experience here in the church in Australia, is full of marriages where there's a really uh, unhealthy dynamic where someone thinks that they should be turning the cheek the whole time. And to learn to fight for your marriage begins to start by learning to fight for your dignity and for who you are and say, no, you do not get to hit me. No, you do not get to walk all over me. And that's a whole topic that needs to be explored in a, like a whole like 10-week series that Michelle's going to do. But sometimes learning to fight for you. And, and you might say, what do you mean to learn to fight for you? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Not that you should love yourself less, but learn how to love yourself so that you can love others in a healthy way. Right? If most of us, if we loved others the way we loved ourselves, we'd be very lonely people. Because if we treated others how we treat ourselves, we would be all alone. So learn to discover how to fight for that. Fight for your family, fight for the forgotten, fight for your kids, fight for your marriages, fight for the dreams that God has placed inside of you of what He wants to do on this planet in this species of humanity. Fight for those things. But for goodness sake, stop turning the other cheek and thinking that you're a doormat and discover the magic of what happens when you begin to fight for things of God and His kingdom. Take off your belt and turn it into a whip. Later, not while I'm here. I bruise easily, you've already seen. (laughs) What are you fighting for that makes you a better person or the world a better place? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you fought for us in the most passionate, loving way that changed all of history. Thank you that the Bible, the collection of stories about you and what you've done on this planet is a story of fighters. For the moments when we haven't fought, when we've just turned into doormats, please forgive us. And for each person in this room, in person up in North North, each person on on Line North, God, for each person who's watching and engaging with what you're doing and saying in their hearts, God, give them in their hearts, let them know what they have that's worth fighting for. Give them the courage to share that with people around them about what they're going to fight for this week and turn True North into a church of fighters, of people who are fighting for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.